Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm Not Okay With Day. I am your host, Day, and today I am doing something I never thought I would do, ever. (laughs) And I really didn't even um, think about doing it today, of all days, but... I was in the midst of editing a podcast episode and I, based on something that was said, I just felt convicted to do it today. Now, um, and let me tell y'all that I'm very scared. Okay. I'm really terrified. This is probably the most terrified I've been since the first episode I ever put out. (laughs) Um, I brought my tissues because it's probably going to be a difficult one. I'm anticipating shedding some tears, which is okay, but, um, I'm doing this episode because I think it's time and I think it's needed. I need to do it for myself and I also think other people need to hear this, um, So we're just going to get right in. So if you're new to this um, podcast, we have a segment that we like to call some type of way. So we're going to start there. What had me feeling some type of way? Um, You know, last week I had the most life-changing therapy session ever. And it's going to sound very basic. But if you've been following me along, you will understand why it's not. And if you're new, hopefully I can explain it in a way where it'll make sense. So last week, I started off my therapy session by telling my therapist just how I was feeling, you know, what I'd been thinking about in the past couple days and how it was making me feel. And, um, you know... She was asking me to identify where I was feeling it in my body. And I was telling her that I started doing the thing I do, which is just kind of like get more explainy (laughs) and less like this is what I'm feeling. Like I started intellectualizing. I mentioned this before. I started kind of explaining, but then going off into like conceptualizing what I think this means. And she stopped me and she was like, no, let's just like sit in this feeling for a second. And she, um, so she asked me to describe the feeling. I told her I was feeling restricted, almost like someone is bounding me. So she said, okay, why don't you get into a position that would feel more comfortable? And I did. And so I ended up lying down and I just started crying. And I could not stop crying, y'all. Okay, when I tell you I was crying, it also wasn't just like, it was like wailing. It was like, (laughs) maybe not wailing, that's dramatic. But I just ugly cried, boohoo crying, letting it all out. And for me, I did this one time in another therapy session months ago. And I even then kind of restricted myself. And something I learned in that therapy session is how much I restrict myself from 
feeling from crying anyway i just cried and y'all i spent the entire therapy session crying (laughs) and it was necessary because there had been just so much bottled up that i held for so long and my therapist even said like I mean, at one point, she started crying, too. We were just both both crying. (laughs) But it was a really powerful moment because she realized how badly I needed to release. And she gave me the space to do so. And she said, I can just, like, see the pain that you're holding in your body. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I didn't even say yeah. I just cried more in in agreement because that's all I could do but it was just such a release for me and it was so I say life-changing because I would say it was the beginning of me letting go of the pain that I've held in my body and I think this episode is a continuation of releasing that pain I have I've had ideas for the podcast like different topics I want to cover but I think I need to do this one first before I go there so here we go y'all let's dive in um speaking of holding things in the body so uh, Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to hmm, eight. How many years has it been? To when I first got married. We'll just say that. Uh, I think it's eight years. So uh, I saved myself from marriage. I really believed in the sanctity of marriage and I wanted to make sure that it was going to be something I saved for my future husband and that is exactly what I did and you know I went into the wedding night with little expectations um I and maybe this is part of the problem We're going to have more conversations about this in the future. But I remember having conversations with people telling me, yeah, you know, your first time, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful, but then it'll get better after a while. You know, I've heard that. So I went in there anticipating pain and expecting even pain. But shall nothing could have prepared me for the level of pain that I experienced on my wedding night. And, you know, I, I cried. I mean, ugh. I cried. It was so excruciating. And, but then I was like, well, you know, yeah, we're both excited. We've waited for years. So, you know, again, this is what people said. So maybe 
well, not maybe, hopefully it'll get better. I, I was truly hopeful that it would, but then we went on the honeymoon. It did not get better. Um, yeah, we tried everything, tried all the things, y'all. It did not get better. And so the only way that I can describe it is, um, you're hitting a wall. Well, I can describe it two ways. It's like you're hitting a wall, but the wall is like you're hitting the wall with needles. So it is a sharp, like pain. You know, when you think of being stabbed by needles, it's like that, but over and over again into the wall, it's the worst pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. And yeah, it kept on being terrible and it was, and it never got better. So at the time that I got married, my husband and I were doing our master's degrees and therefore living separately. So the first year of our marriage, we spent long distance. And frankly, I was grateful because after all that pain, y'all, I was not excited about having sex. There was nothing that made me feel like, oh yeah, let's try to get this going. No. And in fact, I felt a sense of relief every time I was away because from my ex-husband, because I had so much, I felt so much pressure to do it that when we were together, because we had so little time together that I just like forced myself to, and it was just never good. So anyway, um, we spent a year, you know, traveling back and forth every month or so. Um, and you know, after like maybe six months, my ex-husband said to me, I think you have a problem. And at the time, I had my DSM, which is um, the book that mental health professionals use to diagnose people. And in that book, there was a diagnosis. I can't even remember what the diagnosis was, but my ex-husband at the time, I'm, I guess he was looking into it. So he, um, he found like something about like pelvic pain disorder or something like that. I don't remember. In fact, I, I really should have figured it out and should have remembered. But he was like, I think you have this. And I was like, no, that's craziness. Because you know? <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, we're not having sex consistently. So maybe that's the problem. And maybe because it's been all these years of not having sex, like this is this pain it will go away. I, I mean, I didn't understand it. And I also, at the time, I didn't realize it. But today I look back and I just know that I did not have, I was scared to look into it myself. I knew it was not normal, but I was so terrified to 
do the Google, the diagnosing thing and realize I actually have a serious problem that can't be fixed. So I was truly in denial. So my ex-husband said this to me and I was like, no. Anyway, um, he was like, yes, I think you do. And I kind of just shut it down at the time. Very important information is this statement, I think you have a problem because this is something that I kind of carried with me. Just keep in mind for the future. So a year goes by, you know, I move in with him. I finish my master's and I move in since he still had some time left over. And yeah, it did not get better. And by by this time, I mean, again, like we tried things. So I went to my gynecologist and that's when I got diagnosed with vaginismus. And for those of you who don't know, vaginismus is basically a disorder that, um, There is involuntary pain when there is penetration, basically. Pelvic pain, there are, uh, there is, how do we explain it? There is, in my case, pretty severe pain when there is penetration, which obviously makes sex very painful. It's an involuntary tightness of your pelvic muscle and so it also that's why like some people with vaginismus they can't even get in y'all some people can get in but then it's like hitting a wall and that was the situation for me it could go in a little bit but it was like hitting a wall and like I said it was like needles stabbing me is what it feels like and so um I had never heard of this before Okay, this was in 2016, and I did not know anything about this. And my gynecologist herself also said, you know, there's not a lot of research about this, and she herself had very little information. All she knew as far as how that how to treat it was that first, we don't know what the causes are, so there's no explanation as to why this is happening. Um, the cure... The only cure that she told me were two things. Well, there were two options. She could give me a numbing cream that could basically, I could put down there so it would just numb it out and I wouldn't feel pain at all, but I would just feel nothing. Or she could give me the dilators. I should have brought them today. Um, These dilators that you use to help stretch, stretch, stretch the muscle and you practice doing so until it you know widens out to where there's not that tightness anymore and not that pain okay so at the time she was like here you can go and you can see a physical therapist that could help you with the exercises and work with you with your pelvic floor muscle okay so I, at this point, I'm still feeling relatively hopeful because I don't know anything about anything. So I go to the the physical therapist 
we start doing um, different exercises, both internal and external to help stretch it out. Well, after maybe a couple weeks, you know, I get the dilators. Um, and so basically what the dilators are, are <laughs> like, how can we describe it? This is my finger. And so the dilators are basically these They're kind of like dildos, but they're not dildos because they're not actually shaped like penises, but they are um, kind of just long, just in that kind of shape, right? And they go from different sizes. So you have one the size of a finger, and then you'll have them increase in size till, you know, like a penis size, right? And so the thing about that is... um, you, the, what the doctor told me is practice with each until there's no pain with each size. And once there's no pain with that size, that's how you know that you kind of leveled up and then you can move on to the next sizes. Okay. So when I first got the dilators, I was terrified y'all because I guess it was really just my body automatically tensing up. I had so much anxiety just even like do it to myself put it up in there because I just I knew the pain that was coming and it was really hard for me to know that I have to like inflict pain on myself just to make things not painful anymore so I I struggled so much and unfortunately I did not have a husband who made me feel safe and supported and was in it with me. So I really was in it by myself. You know, he would ask me sometimes if I wanted him to help me, but he was really not compassionate. And I did not want that. I just felt pressure. So I was like, no, I I have to do this myself. I remember he even used to get mad at me, you know. And so I was just like, no, just no. Anyways, after a while of doing that, um, it didn't get better. And I went to my physical therapist and she told me, yeah, um, there's nothing more we can do for you. So at that point, I felt very discouraged felt very depressed. I really felt like, well, I guess I am the problem and there's nothing that I can do. And so at that moment, I decided to accept that this is my reality and, you know, because I'm married and, you know, I I had this message of, well, you got to please your husband because if you don't please your husband, he going to find somebody else to please him. And so I decided to just continue having sex, painful sex, and just get over it. And by get over it, I mean find a way to get through the pain in order to ensure that my husband was satisfied. Um, and I did that for years because that's what I thought I had to do. 
And unfortunately, my husband also thought that, or he didn't really oppose that. I don't know what he thought, because it also was not something we discussed, which was a big problem. I think both of us were in denial of what this really meant. None of us were prepared for this. Sex was not something that was discussed in detail prior to us getting married, which is a problem. And so we did not know how to handle it. I did not know how to handle it. And I was so ashamed. I didn't tell anybody until a year later. Then I told, you know, my mom and I told my friend. And even then it's like, what are they going to do? You know, they don't know what to say. And even then, you know, when I first told them, it was still so painful. There was so much shame that I felt and it was so hard to really accept that this was my reality. And I remember many days and crying, begging the Lord to take away that pain, begging him to not do anything. And he never did. And, um, you know... It was really, really difficult because I also started experiencing my ex-husband distancing himself emotionally. Uh, you know, we we never had, you know, that blissful honeymoon period that people have when they get married because of this. Not just because of this, though. But it was difficult. I myself was feeling the distance and I did not even know how to repair it. And there came a point when I just, I fell into a pretty dark place. And and nobody knew, except my friend and my mom and I. I couldn't do it anymore. So I saw a sex therapist at the time. And, um, you know, I told her about the whole thing. And she said, you have to stop doing this. Like you're causing yourself harm by continuously having sex. And she told me, you need to stop. And it was such an emotional moment because it was the first time I felt like I had the permission to stop. Like, my ex-husband was not. My pain was not a priority for my ex. He did not care at least that's how it felt to me you know once he told me it was hard for him but he never stopped doing it so it wasn't that hard and yeah it was really difficult because I felt so isolated and lonely in this suffering and I didn't know what to do 
Anyways, when she told me this, my therapist at the time, I was like, okay. So I was terrified though, because I knew this was going to change a lot with my relationship. And I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of crazy because it's not like we were in a good place to begin with. We were not in a good place. We barely had a relationship. We were roommates at this time. You know, there was very little care as far as like how I'm even doing. There was no effort to um, nurture the relationship. And so that was really hard already. But I had gotten to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. So I wrote a letter to my ex at this time because I couldn't even say the words just so. I read it to him, basically telling him that I can't do this. I can't keep having sex. Among other things, I was telling him just how I was feeling over these last couple years. You know, really being vulnerable and that was not received well. He just walked away. He just walked up, got up and left. And that was very painful because it was the first time I felt like I advocated for myself, you know, after seeing a therapist and getting the courage. And he basically was like, I don't know what to say about this. I mean... He was upset about it. And then three months later, he asked me for a divorce. And so, obviously, that was very, very painful. I, um, I didn't know what to do at that point. I begged him to stay together, you know, I was like, I'll do anything and let's try to just get couples therapy, you know, let's try to make this work. It was a very dark couple of days, but then he said, okay, fine, we'll figure it out, but you need to get help. Um, it was always, I need to get help. You know, like I said earlier, the narrative has always been you have a problem. I have the problem. I need to fix this problem. And the thing about it is, this is not a problem that I think can be fixed alone if I'm in a partnership. Anyway, I was so desperate at the time. We had relocated somewhere else. So at this point, I was like, Googling vaginismus, you know, trying to find support anywhere I could. And I actually found a support group on Facebook. And when I found that group, um, I, I wrote something on there because I just was like so depressed. It was like the night that my ex asked for a divorce. So I found someone on there that was like, hey, they have this physical therapist and she's actually in the area. And it was crazy because I looked her up and she came highly recommended. So I reached out to her and she responded like immediately. 
And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Okay, maybe we can really figure this out. Like once I get the help, you know, from someone who actually knows about this, then, you know, things could be better. So I met up with her and she is the absolute best. Shout out to her, Lynn. <laughs> um, She is she was a godsend to me at that time. She was so supportive. She was the first person that actually even knew and had information about this. And in a time when I felt like nobody understood what I was going through, she understood. And she made me feel so safe at the time. Um... So I started seeing her for a couple months, you know, and she, she told me it'd be really good if, you know, your husband could also join you because I think a big part of the, this getting better, um, really requires your partner, your partner's support. I asked him. He didn't want to do it. Um, she gave us some exercises for us to do to get together, you know, to connect emotionally, physically. But, you know, even though we were going to figure it out, there was not a lot of effort on his end to figure it out. It's still all landed on me to figure out and um yeah I was doing the work with Lynn for a couple months and you know I made improvements actually I, I went up dilator like two dilator sizes actually and um it was good but then my husband asked me for a divorce again the second time um at that point, I really had been holding my breath because, I don't know, his actions were not really giving, I want to make this work. And I don't know, there was something in me the second time he asked that had made me feel like, you know, I can't force somebody to want to be with me. I'm not going to beg anyone to be with me. So I said, okay. I gave it to him. And then, you know, we got divorced. Years later, here we are. <laughs> and so, yeah. That is, I guess, my vaginismus story. You know, the reason why I wanted to share this is because I'm at a place right now in my healing where... I'm processing a lot of these things that have happened in my marriage and I realized coming back to the initial point or the, the, the first thing I was seeing earlier, how much pain, how much shame I have been holding in my body and you know, 
to this day, I have a very complicated relationship with my body because it has not been functioning the way that I want it to, you know? And I guess on the surface, it looks like my body is the reason why my husband left me. You know, on the surface, it seems like I am broken and damaged. My body is not functioning, is not doing what it's supposed to do. And therefore, it was not enough for my husband to stay with me. Therefore, I was not enough. And I struggle with this belief that I'm not enough for anyone. And there have been certain things that, you know, feel like a confirmation that I'm not enough. But I have been doing a lot of work in therapy to challenge those narratives and it's required me to look at my situation as for what it is and not just for the story I've told myself over the last few years and um, the reality is This is one small portion of why my marriage ended and why it didn't work. There are many other things that contributed and it's hard to look back and to think about my ex really not having compassion for me and not supporting me in the way that I really desperately needed him to. Beyond that though, I myself, I didn't have compassion for myself. I realized that I had the narrative of not being enough before I even knew this was an issue and it just kind of reinforced that belief right after you know I spent so many years feeling like a failure of a wife a failure a failure of a woman I felt so bad about myself so worthless and it really did affect the way that I showed up in my marriage and the way that I showed up even in other relationships and I spent years truly believing that something was wrong with me and now that I'm able to look back I recognize 
Nothing was wrong with me. I never asked for any of this. And to this day, I don't know why this has happened. This is also something that really, I really struggle with because in my time of trying to understand this diagnosis and just like why this all has happened, you know, there's been more information that's come out about um, some women who struggle with this, you know, who've had maybe sexual trauma in the past. And, you know, that was not my experience. So that was not... You know, as I tried to, like, make sense of it, I was like, why has this happened? It's not, I I didn't go through any of these things. And there was no explanation. And it was so difficult to make sense of throughout the years. And um, something I came across was The Great Sex Rescue, which is a book that was written. And it talked about women, a lot of women, in the evangelical church who grew up with similar damaging messages that I had which included you can't please your husband he's gonna find it somewhere else that's so problematic we're gonna talk about that later it's so damaging so problematic I realized there was a lot of messages I received within the church that caused harm in the way that I felt like my expectations as a wife and as a woman those were in the back of my head making me feel like a failure y'all I remember someone telling me this it was actually really off-putting I went to a reunion of my old church And this person said to me, it was maybe like a few years after I got married, and he said, I hope you're pleasing your husband. Like he literally said, I hope you're making your husband happy. And I was so offended in the moment, but I was also so stunned. I had no words. But like literally, these are the things I think that have caused me pain. And when I look back at this whole thing, what I also realize is how the partner you have really makes a difference. You know, I remember there was somebody who had reached out to me in the vaginismus support group who I knew. And I remember we had been talking and she was asking me for support because I guess I, I was in the group a little bit longer than she had been in. And she was also married, but her husband was amazing, a great support. And I remember even the moment that I told her that I was getting a divorce, feeling so much shame and so jealous of not having that kind of support in a partner. And I realized today really also just how... much that impacted me um yeah it's it was really hard but I wanted to share this because 
last year, I was listening to Megan Trainer's podcast, of all people, y'all. <laughs> and Megan Trainer nonchalantly mentioned having vaginismus after she gave birth. And then I remember she said it was after, or it always was like that. But she was like, oh yeah, this is what the doctor said, and this is what I have. And she was so just chill about it. And I was taken aback. Like, I remember hearing her say this, and I felt so like, wow. I'd never seen a woman with this diagnosis treated so, like, regular. <laughs> and it made me feel empowered in that moment. Like, hmm, maybe it's not something I need to be ashamed about. And as I've just been working through this, I mean, I'm still in that group. I see so many women, you know, talking about their struggles and, and it really has helped me. But again, I, even when I was going through this, I, I was looking for resources for just like people who were t would talk about this and there was not. And there's been a recent, I would say, normalization of women's health and discussion on sex and the church. And I feel a, a sense of responsibility to talk about this, to spread awareness first and foremost, to talk about my experience so that if you are somebody who has been experiencing this, can know that you're not alone because I felt so alone. I felt so much pain in this struggle and I don't want anyone to feel that and I also want to debunk this idea that if you have this something is wrong with you because this is something that I myself am fighting with myself about nothing is wrong with you and nothing is wrong with me I felt so much shame and I had to think about it. I mean, just up until recently, as recent as a week ago, I was thinking, why do I feel shame for something that I didn't do and had no control over? Because it's literally like having shame over being black, over what? having brown eyes. I never made myself. I never chose this. I did not give this to myself. So why do I feel so bad about it? The reason is because my ex made me feel bad about it. Society makes you feel bad about it. There's just certain messages that are going around that make you feel bad. But what are these things based on actually? You know, I want so badly to love myself unconditionally, regardless. Just, I've said that, you know, a few times and that I've made a commitment to myself to love myself and to get to a place where I do. And part of that is accepting myself 
fully as I am if I never change anything. And that includes this and no longer looking at myself like I am a problem. I spent too many years believing that. Too many years believing that no one would ever want me. Too many years feeling like I'm only worth what I can do for somebody. And it's just not okay. Um, And it's not something I want to continue to hold. I want to release that for myself. And so that is what I'm doing. And it starts here with this. And I mean, it's... I don't have to do talk about this publicly. I like I've already been working through a lot of this in my therapy. So, you know, it's not like this is the first time I'm talking about this, but like I said, I want other people to know that this is something that happens to people. And you know, if you don't have this problem in particular, but you have some other problem, some other thing you know that you're feeling shame about think about whether or not that shame is warranted did you do anything to deserve this did you bring this upon yourself or is there nothing you could have done and no control that you had over this thing because if that's the case let that shame go I, um, I'm saying this and I'm, I'm really trying to keep it together y'all because otherwise I'd just be balling nonstop in this podcast and that's, no one wants to hear that. But, um, I have to say this, you know, I have to release myself. I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about shame in another podcast, but I think this is kind of the beginning in some ways of letting go of the certain narrative that I've had for myself, rewriting that narrative, and I'm praying and hoping that you can do that too if that is something you're struggling with. So that's my story, y'all. This is not going to be the first time you hear this. And I'm probably going to continue to talk about how I've been affected by this. And really, my only hope is for someone to feel less alone. So there you have it, y'all. My deepest August. <laughs> um, I'm very much aware of what can come from this. 
which also terrifies me, but I think it's worth it. So, yeah. We're going to end the episode with what God has taught me. Actually, I said earlier that I was editing a podcast, the one that just came out, that came out, I don't know when I'm going to release this actually, but I just edited a podcast and I had a friend on, she mentioned something along the lines of going through pain and sharing your story for other people. You don't know how it's going to impact other people. And something I've learned in recent times is sometimes your pain, your story is not about you. Sometimes it is for somebody else. And sometimes what you go through is to bring somebody else to God, to bring somebody else to a place of safety And that is also the reason why I needed to do this. Um, And I don't think that is the only thing, like the only reason that I went through this. To be honest, I'm still trying to figure that out. And I don't know if I'm going to get an answer to that while I'm living on this earth. But I do believe that there is power in talking about the things you feel the most shame about because shame grows in darkness and in silence and you take the power back and I am taking my power back in every sense of the word and I'm moving forward in this stage of life afraid and moving forward in God's strength and stepping into the power that I have always had and never thought I did so yeah that's it for me y'all Um, I don't even know what to say to end this, so I guess I'll just say until next time. Bye.